If you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 10. I'll be reading from the first 10 verses here in just a moment. Today, as we begin to read through this new chapter, we have before us a metaphor, a, a figure of speech, a parable of some kind that Jesus gives us about sheep. Many are insulted today by being called sheep. They think that they cleverly call these people sheeple, which actually is kind of clever. And they use it as an insult. It means somebody who merely follows, who either can't think for themselves or simply refuses to think for themselves, and so they follow others. But biblically, being called sheep is not so much an insult as it is a matter of affection and comfort and simply truth. It is a sign, if you are part of God's sheep, that you will be well taken care of and you will be afforded help and well-being. It is nothing less than a tacit admission that you need such care as a person in this world. And please don't be put off by the fact that Jesus often speaks to us in figures and in pictures. These things are important for us. The whole purpose behind using metaphors is to take incredibly abstract things and allow them to be more concrete. Metaphors are simply a part of language. They can be difficult to interpret, but they are part of language. Some linguists actually argue that it's metaphors all the way down, that all of language is simply a metaphor for other metaphors and other metaphors. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was reminded of that old story about a, a Western philosopher who, who went to Asia and met an Asian philosopher. A philosopher and and uh, he asked him what he thought of the earth. And this Asian philosopher said, it's a great ball resting on the flat back of a turtle. And so he says, ah, yes, but what does the turtle stand on? And the Asian philosopher said back to him, well, on the back of a still larger turtle. And the European scholar said, yes, but what does he stand on? And the Asian scholar said back to him, a very perceptive question, but it's no use, mister. It's turtles all the way down. And some people think that it's metaphor all the way down, but thank God for us, the metaphor stops someplace. And in this metaphor, we will find that it stops at none less than Jesus Christ. Metaphors can be difficult to understand because what they're trying to do in their best form is take something that is, is very abstract and make it more concrete. It provides us a picture that we can clench onto. For instance, we might say something very abstract, but then putting it in a, a picturesque way makes it much more understandable. I, I could say something along the lines of, well, signs are presented toward their signifiers, but they don't actually mean what the signified is. They're simply implying the signified. And so that if we change the name of the sign, it doesn't actually change the substance or the quality of the signified. Or we could say something along the lines of, a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. One of those makes sense. The other one was sort of making sense, but primarily just confusing because it was so abstract. Shakespeare has a way of doing this kind of thing to us. This is the purpose of metaphors. Metaphors are not meant to cloud. They're meant to clarify. They can be misleading. We can go to metaphors and, and analogies of, like, let's say, the Trinity, and we can be led astray by pushing those things too far and too hard. But this doesn't mean we ought to shy away from them entirely. Many good analogies exist for understanding God. As a matter of fact, God reveals himself to us. <coughs> excuse me. God reveals himself to us through analogies and through metaphors. He doesn't, after all, have a strong right arm. He isn't, after all, a strong tower. And he isn't literally a rock. But these are pictures given to us so that we can understand something of who God is. Let us turn then to this metaphor, this word picture about sheep, as we read the first 10 verses of John 10 and see what we can learn about ourselves and about Christ in these verses. 
John chapter 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of our God. Let's say that you are a first century family and you want to own some sheep. How are you going to go about owning some sheep? Well, you're going to go down and you're going to buy a couple of sheep, but you're going to realize right away that owning sheep is an expensive endeavor and you're going to need to keep them penned in. And you're going to need to keep them penned in primarily for two reasons. One, sheep are incredibly dumb. They will just wander off into trouble and you can't have them wandering off into trouble because they were expensive to begin with. And so you're going to have a pen in order to keep them safe from themselves, from their own stupidity. But that pen is also useful in another way. It also keeps dangers from coming in after them because you know very well that there are bears and there are lions and there are foxes and there are all manner of prey out there who are salivating to get a little bit of a lamb chop. And so you want to keep them out and so you build a wall. Now, it's likely that in your building of the wall, you're going to go in with other people on this. Usually, these dwellings and these enclosures face the back of houses to keep the fencing to a minimum in order to allow for a cheaper building and in order to allow many families to share that pen and to share the expense of the pen. And so there would have been different sheepfolds kind of mixed in. So you build your wall and you realize how silly it was to have built your wall and not have a door because soon the, the sheep are going to eat all of the grass in that enclosure and they need to get out in order to feed on better pasture lands in order to have water. And so you let them out and you're going, to, you're going to accomplish this by putting a door. And doors work really well. Doors work well against animals unless they're raptors and you're in Jurassic Park. But for the rest of the time, doors work really, really well. Animals can't open them. But the problem is that other people can open them and that other people could then get to your sheep. So you can't just have a door what you need is somebody to watch the door for you. And so you get somebody who is able to do that. And once you're successful enough, you can buy and you can pay for a shepherd to keep the sheep. And he will lead them out of the enclosure and he will lead them to good pasture lands and he will lead them to water and he will protect them and he will guide them. In many other cultures, he is aided by dogs who corral the sheep and keep them close. In the Palestinian culture, especially in first century, this was done primarily through his voice. And so they would have certain calls that they would use and those sheep would be trained for the calls because even though they're dumb, they can still respond to that kind of thing and they would listen to their voice. So when Jesus says they hear his voice, he's not just making this up. It's not an extension of something that they wouldn't have known. It is something that happened in the first century. Shepherds use their voices to call their sheep. So what do we make first of these sheep? This picture, if you will, 
has a lot of different facets of it. One of the most important is simply the fact that there are sheep here. The sheep are clearly God's people. They are the people who belong to Jesus because they are clearly hearing his voice. God's people are often depicted in Scripture as his flock or as his sheep. In the world, whether you like this analogy or not, and whether you think of yourself as a sheep or not, every single person in the world embodies something of what sheep are. They are dumb and they are helpless. It doesn't mean that God's people alone are like this. It means everybody is somewhat like this, whether they would admit it or not. And the fact that they don't admit it shows just how dumb and helpless they really are. God's people ought to understand this and embrace it more than other. We're dumb. We do foolish things. This is the whole point of sin. If you listen to how Scripture speaks of sin, as my family's reading through Proverbs, the way Proverbs continually talks about sin is sin not in terms of evil and wrong, although it does that, but sin in terms of foolishness. Not fearing the Lord is foolishness. It's dumb. It's a stupid way to act. And yet we are all sinners, tainted by sin and headed for death. It is a foolish and an unrational thing, irrational thing to do. We're dumb. But we are also helpless. We can come up with all kinds of weapons to help fight off physical threats, but we have absolutely no weapon in our arsenal to fight off spiritual threats. We succumb to sin, and we succumb to it again, and we succumb to it again. The Old Testament is ripe with this kind of imagery of God's people as sheep that need guidance and help. In Ezekiel 34, verses 10 through 12, God is going to castigate the leaders of Israel for their failures. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Notice there the emphasis on the Lord doing this. I will be their shepherd. I will come and rescue them. I, even I, the Lord. Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, declares the Lord. He not only will bring them back, he will give them shepherds who will protect them, and there will be none who are missing. He will gather the 99, and then he will go and find the one who is out there still. All of this rings true with probably one of the most famous Psalms, Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name sake. The Lord is a shepherd to his people, and we are his sheep. So given the nature of these pictures in the Old Testament, when Jesus talks like this, there is no doubt that the people who are there, especially when he begins to explain it, have an understanding of who the sheep are supposed to be. The sheep are no less than God's sheep. They're no less than God's people. 
And in this metaphor, Jesus does one better than the picture that is being provided. Because the picture of shepherds might be that they have a call and all those sheep come out. But Jesus says something fundamentally different. He calls them out by name. He knows every single one of them. He doesn't know them simply as a group, but he knows them personally and intimately. Jesus, steadily throughout this gospel and always through the preaching of his word, is calling his sheep personally and individually to himself. He is calling you, friend. If you are his sheep, he has called you by name. He knows you. He knows you intimately and he knows you personally. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has called you out. What is it to hear but to know that your shepherd is who speaks to you? To hear the voice of Jesus is to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus. It is to recognize the authority simply as the sheep recognize the authority of the shepherd to call them out. And what is it to attend to that voice but to obey it? As Jesus says even here, his sheep hear his voice and follow him. They are led out by him. They listen to him. To be a sheep of Jesus Christ means to obey and to listen to his voice. They won't listen to the voice of strangers. Ultimately, they will listen to his voice. Friend, if you think that you hear from Jesus in his word, if you think that he has called you, listen to his word. If he has called you out, then come out. Come out of your sin. Come out of the darkness in which you have lived and live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know that he is your shepherd and he is calling you out to walk in good paths, to walk in safety. Because not everyone here is a sheep. The idea of the shepherd standing there and calling the sheep out is a picture of him calling his sheep out as opposed to the other sheep that are likely in that pen. Again, these pens were not just for individual flocks, but oftentimes many flocks that would necessitate a shepherd knowing his sheep from other sheep. And so as Jesus calls them, it's his sheep that follow, but the sheep that stay there are not his because they don't know his voice, because they haven't experienced his care, because frankly, those sheep don't trust that voice. They don't listen to that voice, and they don't care to do what that voice is calling them to do. Do you, friend, Hear the voice of Jesus in this text? Do you trust in the ways in which he leads you to live? That is the mark of one who is truly a sheep. And those sheep come and go through the door. The second thing we want to talk about here is clearly the door. It is odd, frankly, in this particular metaphor, that the very first place that Jesus seeks to explain himself is through the metaphor of the door. There is, after all, a shepherd. There are thieves and robbers. There's a watchman. All of those are people. But Jesus doesn't identify with them first. He doesn't even identify with the sheep, which are at least animated animals, but instead he compares himself to a door. He says, I am the door. The door plays an incredibly important function. A door opens to allow sheep access to good food, to feeding, and the door closes to give the sheep safety and comfort. And friends, Jesus does both of those things for us. He is the gateway for food, true food for us to feed on, to be nourished by. He is our access to the great pasture land abroad. He is the bread of life. He alone is the way that we can have true food and true life before God. But what's more, feeding on good ground is not just seen as sustenance in Scripture. It's not just enough to get you by. Jesus takes you to better lands than that, where you just won't get by, but you will be fat, well-fed sheep. 
Listen to the remaining bits, not all of it, but at least the next two verses of Psalm 23. Even though, this famous passage, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. Now, when he starts talking about table, it does seem like he switches a little bit back to sort of this human picture of preparing a table. But imagine that that metaphor doesn't actually switch. Imagine that he's still considering himself a sheep and imagine that he's being led through this dark valley into a tableland filled with grass and pasture land and God has prepared all of it for him that he might eat wherever he wants to and he can drink from the brook that is beside him and all of his enemies, all the bears and all the wolves and all the foxes can do nothing but watch on because he has a shepherd who cares for him and who watches over him. It is not just sustenance. It is a feast and it is with joy. We tend to think that rods and staves are theirs to hit and to hurt, and indeed they are. They can sting, but they sting to lead us to richness and to better life. They sting so that we might walk on good paths. They sting so that we wouldn't veer off into danger and into trouble. Jesus gave it to us, not just small bits of life, Not just meager lives, but he gives us abundant life. He says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. I have come to give my sheep not just the ability to live, but to live and to flourish forever. This world might just be nothing less than a shadow of death. And you might not feast on the riches of the world until after you've passed through this shadowy valley. But there will be a time, friend, when he will give you all of the richness of the kingdom of God. There will be a time when Jesus leads you through the shadow of death that looms over you here in this land and leads you to very, very good land beyond. It is not just an ordinary life, but one that is filled with abundance. He feeds us and he allows us access to that good life. But he also protects us. He can keep us safe. He will, to switch analogies to a maritime analogy, he will hold us fast. What ill, what ill can prevail on us if Jesus is with us? What trial and tribulation can overcome us? What enemy can overtake us? What foe could crush us if Jesus is with us? Who can stand against us? There is nothing that can happen outside of our good. Even when we feel like the teeth of the wolf is biting into us, that is nothing less than his staff guiding and directing us. Nothing in this world will eventually hurt you. Jesus Christ is sovereign over it all. Everything that happens to you is for your good. The wolf will not lay his teeth into you. The bear will not tear and rip at your flesh. And the foxes will not pull you away. Jesus commands all of it. He is overriding in all situations. And any pain that you feel is a pain of Christ leading you back onto the good path. It is nothing less than the merciful rod of our Savior leading us through a valley which is deep and which is dark and which is full of terror. But he leads us. He is both our access to the good and our protection from the bad. He is the door. He is not a door. It's not like it's him and Jim Morrison hanging out, right? He's not a door. He's not one of many. He doesn't leave it up to you to figure out like which path do you want to take. There's not many ways into the sheep pen. He says there's one way into the sheep pen. There is only one way you can enter in. 
And again, the, the, the picture changes. The metaphor changes. We shouldn't think of this metaphor as one solid story. It's not an allegory that he's trying to tell us. Jesus is clearly picking out bits of it and isolating it and saying, this is what I'm like. No, this is what I'm like. It's, it's like a buffet. Okay? You get to pick and choose the, vision, the visual picture that you like and you get to identify it and think about it and ruminate on it. And yes, I explained metaphors with metaphors just now. It probably is metaphors all the way down. But nevertheless, it's, it, he shifts the, the picture. He, he talks about the door as far as coming in for thieves and robbers as though they are people, but then he talks about them as though they're sheep in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. They're not thieves and robbers anymore, but they're sheep. Friend, if, if others try to come in, if others try to enter in, they're either thieves and robbers or they're standing outside because they're sheep who are not really his own. The only way you get into the flock And here the picture is no longer of multiple flocks in that sheep pen, but of his flock alone in that sheep pen. The only way you get in is if you come through Jesus. There isn't another path. You can't dig a tunnel. You can't go over the wall. You can't run really hard and Kool-Aid man your way in. There is only one way in, and that is through Jesus Christ. Anyone who says that they are protected, anyone who says that they have a rich life, anyone who says that they have anything good in this life, or protection from God, or that they know God. Anyone who says that outside of actually coming in through Jesus is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It is only by our faith in Jesus that we become God's people through him. We are his people because we enter through the Son. We are his sheep because we enter through the gate. We are adopted as his sons only because Jesus Christ is the Son, and we find ourselves clothed in him. Friends, those who say they know God and know his protection but know nothing of Jesus are simply pretenders. They might bah outside the walls, but they will never get in. They think that they're protected. They might think that nearness to the wall will keep them safe, but the wolves will come for them. The foxes will carry them away and the bears will rip them apart. They will have harm. They will have destruction and they will have devastation that you will never know because you have entered into the sheep pen and Christ keeps you safe. You do that through him. What about those thieves and robbers? What should we make of them? Third, let us consider the shepherds. Ultimately, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the ultimate pinnacle of what shepherds ought to be. He cares for his sheep in a way no one else can. And it's an interesting analogy, I think. It's an odd way of saying, frankly, that Jesus is divine. Remember when you read back through Ezekiel, who is it who's going to come to shepherd his people? Who is it who's going to come to claim his people back from the farthest reaches of the world? Who is it that is going to do away with these false shepherds and be the good shepherd who will contain them and watch over them? It's no less than God himself. Ezekiel 34 has already set that down for us. But then later, in the exact same chapter, we find that God will not just do this himself, but he will also use David's son. Ezekiel 34, verses 23 through 25. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jesus is no less than both of these things. 
He comes as the Lord who will shepherd his people. He comes as the Lord to call his people back from the edges of the earth. He comes as the Lord to do away with the false shepherds, to do away with the the thieves and the robbers who stand over his people now, to call his people out of there, to give them protection and access to that which is good. But he also comes as great David's greater son. Great David, who was, first and foremost, a shepherd boy. David, who also fought for his sheep, Saul, one of the first times he meets David is when Goliath is taunting the armies of the living God. And Saul, although king, is doing nothing about it, hoping that Goliath will wear himself out. I don't know what his military strategy was. But David comes and he says, hey, let me go out and try. And Saul isn't quite sold. Saul's huge. David's ruddy and small. He says, I'm not sure that you can handle this. And David says to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I love the fact he says his beard. I struck him by his beard. That's why I don't grow facial hair. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. He says, I I used to protect my own sheep, and now I will protect yours. You are refusing to do it. I will go out and do it. This is what I do. He will shepherd those who deal to seek harm an injury to the people of God, and he will destroy those enemies. Jesus will do this for us. He will lay down his life for the sheep. That is the purpose of the good shepherd. He will give his life so that no one will come against the sheep. He will lay down his life and fight off the enemies of the sheep so that they might be safe. Jesus will not just do this. He has already done it for us. Jesus is not the only one, though, who loves the sheep. Make no doubt about it. Thieves and robbers love the sheep. They love them. They're willing to climb over walls to get them. They're willing to trick and lie to get to them. It's a lovely expression, thieves and robbers. Thieves being those who take by stealth. Robbers, those who take by force. It's not exactly the same, but it's a nice juxtaposition with the beast and the false prophet that we get in the book of Revelation the false prophet who will deceive and lead others astray, the beast who will lead astray by brute force. Jesus gives us a very easy way to spot them. How are we supposed to know when they arise? How are we supposed to know when we see them? He says it very easily. When you see somebody climbing over the wall, you know that they don't belong there. If you see somebody climbing in through a window, you know they don't belong there. I remember in Louisville, we had a side door that we always went in and out of, and more than one occasion, sadly, my kids... Read me. I, I, it was me. But my kids were with me, locked us out of the house. And on more than one occasion, I had to send Lou through the window. Now, I, I didn't quite do it from 10 feet out, and she, she knew how to tuck and roll, so it was fine, right? But it, it makes you feel weird because this is exactly what thieves do, right? It's thieves who climb in through windows who don't use doors. Now, if I weren't saved, I would say this would be an awesome way to rip off a whole bunch of houses because when you've got kids with you, no one thinks you're a thief. They just think you're an idiot who locked himself out of the house. Don't steal. 
However, it makes you feel odd because this is the very nature of what thieves do. They don't use doors. They go in by other means. And that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, if they're not using the gate, then friend, they're not for you. They're not your shepherd. They're not one who's there to watch and protect over you. They love you because you provide for them. They will fleece you and they will eat you and they will devour you, but they're not there for you. There are those who would come in and lead the sheep astray. There are those who will come in who won't preach Christ, who will not speak of Christ, who will seek to flatter you and will seek to flatter themselves. And at times they will sound like shepherds, and at times they will look like shepherds, but friends, they don't use the door. I mentioned this before, and I would love to press it home. I am the shepherd that you have appointed over you. By God's grace, he has appointed me to this. My guess is, and my hope is, that you have done this, and I will continue to do the function of a shepherd because you hear the voice of Jesus through me. You hear the voice of Jesus when I preach. You hear the voice of Jesus ringing throughout the sermons and the teachings that you have here at Crossway. You can hear that gate creak when we open up Scripture. But today, in a way that faces almost no other generation that has ever lived before, I am not the sole teacher that you are going to have. I face an issue that Charles Spurgeon could have never dreamed of. You can get false teachers in more ways than you can possibly imagine. And they are always inundating you in ways that you cannot possibly control. Through Facebook, through Twitter, through blog posts, through videos, through podcasts. Everywhere you go, they have access to you. Everywhere you go, you can hear them. Some of these are always going to be around God's people. No doubt, Spurgeon had to deal with pamphlets and he had to deal with books. Great men of old had to deal with those things as well, but not like we do today. Friends, I would love to be able to guide you and to shepherd you. I would love to be able to stand in front of you and, and provide that protection for you. And in most other generations, I could do that all on my own. But I can't today. You have access to good teaching without my help at all. You also have access to incredibly rancid teaching. There are many men there are many men who would climb in over the wall through podcasts. There are many men who would climb in over the wall through all of these means. It means you need to be diligent and watch out for them. Because me simply keeping them from entering this pulpit is not going to be enough. Me simply teaching you good things on Sundays is not going to be enough. You need to be able to recognize it when it happens. If the person who you are reading or you are hearing doesn't make Jesus, the absolute center of what he does if he's not entering by the door, if he doesn't make the text the central issue, then they're entering in by another way. If they focus on themselves, they're entering in by another way. If they focus on you as much as you might like that, they're entering in by another way. If they focus on politics, friend, they're entering in by another way. If they're focusing on issues that surround our culture, but they don't get around to preaching Christ, they're entering in by another way. Jesus and preaching his excellencies is why we are here. We are not here for you. We are not here for me. We are here to hear and to proclaim and to worship the excellencies of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And to be led astray by so much fluff 
to be led astray by things that tickle our ears is to be led astray by the, the speakings and the sayings and the deception of a thief. And to be led away by all of the worries and the cares, to be led away by people who would force you to admit all the things that you have in your life could be taken away from you by the libs or by the cons or by whatever you want to call, by the enemies that surround us everywhere, those who would press and forcefully say that you need to stand up for your rights, that is just to be forced away by the robber. They come in not for your good, they come in for your meat. So, let us stand by those who enter in through the real gate, who speak of a true shepherd, even Jesus Christ. Even while they shepherd the flock, even they shepherd themselves under his authority. Let us be the sheep who know the voice of our Savior. Let us be the sheep who hear the voice of our Savior when you hear it from the word, when you hear it read, when you hear it preached, when you hear it spoken of, when you hear it on podcasts, when you hear it in blog posts, when you hear it, that you can tell the word of your God from the word of those who would do you nothing but harm and ill. There is one aspect of being a sheep that Jesus kind of leaves out of this. They're not just there for their looks. They're not just there for their kind dispositions. They're not even just there for the wonderful wool that they can grow. Sheep are there because they're tasty. Sheep are there because they're eventually led to the slaughter. They're eventually food. You'll notice that Jesus kindly leaves that out. But Jesus is not just the door and he's not just the shepherd. The beautiful thing about Christianity, that in all honesty sets it far apart from every other religion, is not just grace, but it is that our God became one of us. The God and the Redeemer of Israel, the sovereign Lord of all creation, who upholds that creation, not only spoke it into existence with his word, but upholds it by his word. That if, if he ceased for even a millisecond to, to actively make the universe in existence, it would simply disappear because there is only one thing that exists on its own, and that is him. He clothed himself in humanity. He came down to be one of us. John has even said at the very beginning of this gospel, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is a sheep, and he was led to the slaughter. But his slaughter was for you. He allows himself, the good shepherd, to lay down his life. He is the sheep who gets slaughtered so that the rest of the flock might not have to endure it. We are forgiven by the fact that he was slaughtered. And we are released from the fact of our slaughter by his. He has taken our penalty upon himself. He has taken our fate upon himself. And being raised from the grave, we know that our slaughter is no more. So we can go out and feed and we can come in and be protected. Friends, today if you hear his voice, place your trust in him. He is the sheep who dies for you. He is the gate that brings you in and keeps you safe. He is the shepherd that leads you through deep darkness. Let us place our trust in him and let him be our vision and our guide. Let us pray. Father, how wonderful your son is. He is everything for us. He is a sheep. He is a shepherd. He is a gate. He does all things well and he does all things for the glory of you. Even bringing us in is not ultimately for us, Father. It is for your glory so that we might sing your praises, so that we might see and exist in that glory. 
That is indeed the abundance of life that he promises to us. He does this for us so that we will have no boast except to boast in what he has done. Let that boast be ours today. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.